Greetings, this is Scott Swanstrom, your host of Mind Redefined, Lifting the Stigma Around Mental Health. And today's episode is Children in Homes with Domestic Violence and Hubbard House. And we have a special guest in with us today, Stephanie Brown, who is the Community Education Coordinator with Hubbard House. Uh, Stephanie joined Hubbard House team in mid-2019 as the Volunteers and Community Education Coordinator. She entered the nonprofit world with the goal of helping those in need in the Jacksonville, Florida area, and working alongside others who have the same passion. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for joining us, Stephanie. We really appreciate it. We look forward to exploring your role in regards to Hubbard House and coordinating the education system there. But first, before we get started, we do want to ask, what is one thing that you're celebrating today? Well, it's not the most serious win, but I successfully got my dog on a diet. He's a little pudgy, and the vet was like, all right, we're at the point here. And he was very resistant to his healthy food for a while, but we've finally gotten a regular exercise routine, healthy snacks, so... We're on the road to a slimmer. All <laughs> wins are still wins. That's excellent. I know they can be fickle about things like that. Fickle is an understatement. <laughs> Stubborn. <laughs> Very much. Well, I'm glad to hear that about your furry friend and just all celebrations here here on out. So uh, diet switches are amazing. <laughs> I can't get him a cake to celebrate, but, you know, we'll figure something out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure there's something out there. So we're going to be having a conversation, particularly in regards to kids, and it's a really important topic that we're having in regards to domestically violent home situations, and kids are getting ready to go back to school, and so there's a lot of added challenges that come along with us. So children in domestic violence interact in many different ways. Can you expound a little bit more on that, and how does that look right now? Yeah. And, you know, like you just referenced, the timing of this is important because kids are going to school now. So maybe their teachers are going to see them or their counselors are going to see they're going to be in a new audience who might see some of the warning signs. So for people in those positions, we want them to know that, you know, children can be directly abused. You may see signs of that, but they can also witness, experience the abuse, even if their non-abusive parent tries to shield them. There's things that they'll always hear and see. But they can also be a tool in the abusive relationship. You know, so if the abuser tells the other parent, well, if you leave this relationship, you're never going to get to see the kids again. Or maybe threatens to call child welfare on the non-abusive parent. All different ways that kids can be tied in, up in this dynamic, again, even if they're not directly experiencing the physical abuse themselves. So as kids are going back to school and maybe they're bringing the stresses of these kinds of situations along with them, how good are they at covering this up, maybe keeping it from teachers and counselors and the like? One of the big challenges of working in the field of domestic violence is so many people still view this as a family matter and a private issue. And the abuser likely instills that in the home. So everyone may be reluctant to talk about it outside of the home. But what you will see is different signs that may indicate that there is abuse. It largely depends on the age of the child to kind of understand the different indicators. So, you know, when you have those really young pre-verbal children, especially, you may see those physical signs of stress, stomach aches, lashing out or crying for no reason, trouble sleeping and things like that. When the children start to age and become more emotionally and mentally 
well-formed, you'll start to see some of those more complex emotions taking place. They may have low self-esteem. They may have signs of anxiety or severe separation anxiety. And as the children continue to age, that's when it gets really just a wide range of responses. So you may have a child who is depressed and withdrawn and stops engaging in school activities. That could indicate that there's a problem in the home. Or you may have someone who's trying to be the perfect child, the good child, because they think and hope that if they don't bring any stress into the home and any complications or problems, then maybe things will get better. Especially in teen boys, we also see a tendency toward lashing out at the abusive parent, trying to defend the non-abusive parent. But we know that that puts them in a dangerous situation, not only physically, but now there's the possibility that if there is a physical confrontation, the abuser calls the police and maybe the teen boy now gets charges on his record. So those are some of the more overt and outward signs, but really building relationships with the children and young adults is what's key. Because if you start to notice any significant changes, you know, if it's a naturally shy child, but they become more withdrawn, or it's an extrovert that starts to come in, that's when you know that there may be something deeper there that is important to probe about. Do you see much of a difference? You mentioned earlier about how sometimes abusers use children as tools. Maybe the, the children themselves are not being directly abused in a violent situation, but maybe the parent is. What does the balance of that look like? Is that pretty common or is it more common to see all members of a household being abused? So we know that in homes where domestic violence is taking place, there is a really high correlation of child neglect and maltreatment. So again, that can mean a range of things, doesn't necessarily mean direct physical abuse, but it could be withholding food or other important things. Because if the abuser is trying to control the non-abusive parent by using food, then that is inevitably going to trickle down to the children as well. And the abuser will also manipulate the non-abusive parent as well as the children. We've had cases where an abuser will convince the children that the non-abusive parent deserves punishment or deserves the abuse. There have even been times where the abuser has the children be involved in the punishment. And when they're at a young age, they don't understand how complex that situation is and that their non-abusive parent doesn't deserve this treatment. And what that makes exceptionally challenging is the survivor's efforts to leave the relationship. Because now what you may see is a child saying that they're being ripped away from their parent, who they may love and have real feelings for, even though they are an abusive person toward their other parent. So that's one of the ways that we always look to intervene with children is helping them understand all of the feelings, everything they've experienced, because it's tough for an adult mind to comprehend and to sort through, let alone a child's mind. It sounds like there's many layers of complexity there, but uh, you would say then that a lot of the same signs are present, even if there is violence involved or not with the children themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good to keep in mind, especially for our teachers and our counselors that might be listening in now. So, are children who are exposed to domestic violence destined to be in abusive relationships in the future? And I know this is sort of one of maybe those mythologies that either need debunking or there's a likelihood where this is the case. But I know a lot of people probably have this question. It's a really complicated answer. But put simply, there is a higher risk 
that children who are exposed to abuse when they're younger are going to be in an abusive relationship in the future. But what we know is that successful intervention at a young age can reduce that risk. So if a child is living in a home where one parent is abusing the other, they can absolutely start to see that as their relationship model. But organizations like Hubbard House intervene with the child to help them understand that that's not what a healthy relationship looks like and many other lessons similar to that. So with that positive intervention, we can reduce the risk and it is never an inevitability that a child exposed to domestic violence will be in that dynamic in the future. That's a really powerful statement, especially for those who might be listening who are currently in relationships that might have modeled or been modeled to them by their parents in their home life growing up. So that might be something worth exploring with a counselor or a therapist to, to work backwards and to navigate and through some of those tough times. And it's important for those parents who may be listening who are survivors, who, who are experiencing abuse and are, you know, weighing through the challenges and risks of leaving the relationship. If the abuser has turned the children against them, it can be really challenging to see any light on the other side. But again, that intervention can help turn things around and it doesn't have to be the future the child is destined for. Excellent. So there is hope. (laughs) And I love what you guys are doing with Hubbard House and just the powerful programs that you are offering. So we're entering into that season now where school is on the horizon. Florida generally heads back to school even earlier than most states. With children heading back to school, that can actually present some added challenges for a parent who's being abused, as we were talking about earlier. What should survivors be thinking about right now, both to keep themselves and their children safe? Yeah, I mean, just like we referenced earlier, there are opportunities here, right? Like more people are going to be seeing the children. Maybe there's a better likelihood the signs of abuse will be spotted or more places the child can go for help. So those are all great things. But we also encourage those survivors to make sure they're thinking through the safety. It can be as simple as, for example, transportation. If the abuser has control over the family's car and the children aren't accessible for bus service, How are the kids getting to and from school each and every day? That's something that the survivor has to think through. It can also mean, you know, contact and notification to the school itself. So maybe the survivor over the course of the summer has gotten a restraining order on the abusive parent. It's important to let the school know that that person cannot pick up the kids, cannot come in contact with the kids. Or maybe there's no formal order, but the non-abusive parent wants to update who is eligible to pick the children up because maybe the abusive parent's mother used to be on that list. And, you know, that person can be taken off without it being a serious consequence. You can also think of things that affect the child directly. So what if the survivor parent can't make it to pick up the kids from school on time. How do the kids know who is safe to pick them up? Developing a code word can be a great way that, you know, the person can say the code word to the kids and they know that it's a safe person that they can go home with. But it's also important for the survivor to think about themselves because now with the kids at school, it means they're out of the home which could mean that the survivor is alone in the home or just with the abuser. So identifying a trusted person that the survivor can call if they need help when they're trapped in the home just with the abuser is one of the other steps that we definitely recommend a survivor think about at this time. And, you know, of course, with that mental health tie-in that we're talking about with this podcast, 
it's also good to emphasize safety planning around mental and emotional health. You know, children may not understand a self-care plan. They may not even understand if what they're expressing is because of, you know, mental health or emotional health or feeling stressed and anxiety. So we encourage those survivor parents to always think about how to support their child's mental health and emotional health, you know, They're juggling so much already, just trying to keep everyone physically safe. So it is a lot to ask for the parent to do that. But that's where we can maybe get some of those secondary supports, the trusted counselors and teachers that we have in the schools to really incorporate those mental and emotional health wellness checks, steps that you can take toward mental and emotional health so that it's one less thing that's on the already very full survivor's plate. Absolutely. And that's just a great reminder for school administration, for faculty and staff to be ever vigilant, especially with things like transportation, just to be mindful of those and to to ask the right questions. It's easy, especially at the end of a long day, to just kind of cut corners maybe. And And it could come down to school supplies, for example. If the abusive parent controls the family's budget and doesn't allow for any money for school supplies – the child may show up at school with an old backpack and a couple sheets of paper and that's it. So that's, you know, just another sign of instead of just looking and taking it at surface value and figuring the family has money trouble, it could be a sign of, you know, an abusive parent in the home that's just controlling the family's finances. So a lot of different things can kind of be that indicator that something's wrong. But as you mentioned, it does often mean looking below the surface. Absolutely. So how do you help a child who is in an abusive home? You know, that mental and emotional health is so important. And that doesn't mean, you know, you have to have a regimented plan that you're following. And it means checking in, you know, every morning and saying, like, how'd you sleep? How are you feeling today? If the child has opportunities to build their self-esteem, that's a key part of that successful intervention during youth. So if they're good at playing soccer, can you get them involved in a youth sports league? Or if they really are artistic, Is there a way that you can ensure that you have a budget for art supplies that the child can use to express themselves? Looking for things the child is already naturally drawn to and giving them an opportunity to excel in those spaces can be a really important way that they build self-esteem and just start to really feel good about themselves. But of course, the physical safety is always top of mind as well. So work with your child to identify safe adults if they're not comfortable or able to talk to their non-abusive parent or even the abusive parent, you know, we want them to have somewhere to turn. So is it a soccer coach? Is it a camp counselor or after school counselor? Or it could be a formal teacher or anybody that is a trusted adult that understands the situation and that the child can openly talk to. That can be a really important part to ensuring that the child feels safe. And one of the messages that you know, can't be said enough is helping the child understand that they are not the reason that this is happening. They are not responsible for the abuse. They do not have to play the role of the protector because, again, it puts them in danger. And also, if they then can't fulfill that role, it, again, damages their self-esteem. So helping the child understand that it is the abuser's choice And they are the one that is behind this and nothing the child does deserves punishment is so important. And also somewhere where organizations like Hubbard House are really best suited to help the child understand that. 
it sounds like those healthy adult relationships can really be life-giving, especially when they go back home to a very uh, difficult and challenging environment. So the coaches, the teachers, just to be able to celebrate the strengths and that opportunity to give them and build confidence for them really, again, can be just life-changing. So that's a good word, Stephanie. How does Hubbard House help children in abusive homes? And I know when we've had Dr. Patton on before, we've talked about that there are some programs that are available for whole families, for moms, for single parents who are escaping abusive relationships, whatever else that may look like. There's always the complexity of children being added to the mix. So can you expound on that a little bit for us? Absolutely. You know, the key thing to know, first of all, is the services are all free that we offer through Hubbard House. So that financial barrier, maybe the abuser does control the family's finances. For us, that shouldn't, you know, we don't want that to be your barrier to getting help. So know that those services are free and they're confidential. You know, if it's the most dangerous cases where the survivor needs to leave the home because they're in fear for their safety, life-threatening danger, the children can come with that person. We do accept children in shelter along with the non-abusive parent while they're in shelter or if they're working through our outreach center. We have dedicated therapeutic programming that focuses on, like I mentioned earlier, those lessons about self self-esteem, healthy conflict resolution, what, you know, a healthy relationship looks like, why you're not responsible for the abuse. We have staff that's specially trained in not only those lessons, but working with children who have been exposed to trauma so that they can really meet them on their level and help them, you know, as they navigate all of these really complicated things and try to bring some level of understanding to it. But we also recognize that kids need to be kids. So one of the beautiful things about our shelters. We actually have a little playground and we have a half basketball court. So it's a really fun space for kids to get to run around. We even have what are called comfort kits. So it can be so scary if you're woken up in the middle of the night and ushered into an emergency shelter. Maybe one parent has just been abused. Maybe one's been taken to the hospital or to jail. So we have some amazing donors and amazing volunteers who regularly assemble comfort kits with a stuffed animal and some crayons and just some little fun things that we give to kids when they come into shelter so that they know that there is some comfort, there is some safety, and this can be the start of that next step. The other amazing resource that I always like to mention is we actually have a counselor dedicated just to working with the children that we serve. And that is such an amazing resource because, you know, especially right now, trying to get a mental health appointment, like an appointment with a mental health professional, it could take weeks if not longer, because the system is so taxed right now. So the fact that we have a children's counselor dedicated and on call to help any of the children that we work with is just such an amazing resource that we're able to offer. Fantastic. And so in light of wanting to offer hope to our listeners, maybe they know someone who is either struggling with this situation, particularly with children at home, where would you direct them to find more information in regards to Hubbard House or reaching out for an advocate in that way? So we have a great website that has a lot of information on it, which is HubbardHouse.org, H-U-B-B-A-R-D-H-O-U-S-E. But really, the most important resource that I would want someone to take away is our 24-hour hotline, 24-7-365. We have trained advocates that staff that number. So maybe you are that school teacher and you think you see some warning signs, but you're not sure what to do about it. Or maybe you are that parent who needs help securing 
school supplies because the abuser is controlling the family finances or any other reason that you may need the support of our organization, that number is 904 354 3114. We do serve specifically Duval and Baker counties in Northeast Florida, but there are domestic violence centers and hotlines across Florida, across the nation as well. So if you have any question at all and you're outside the Duval and Baker County area, a quick Google search will hopefully give you the hotline or the organization that can match your needs. Excellent. And if you are in a domestically violent situation and uh, you are needing to, to access the internet or get some sort of information just added to your tool belt, find a friend, find a way to find an internet source outside of your own. We know the situation might be that that sort of thing is monitored at home. And so uh, find someone who is trusted, find a way to get to a library or something to that effect and make sure you just research out that information that Stephanie had shared with us as well. But if you again, are outside of Duval or Baker County here in Northeast Florida, there are plenty of helps that are out there. Just a quick Google search and there's going to be someone warm and friendly to be able to meet you where you're at in that conversation and just to be able to help you from there on. Stephanie, thank you again so much for your time today and we appreciate your insight and your expertise in regards to this topic and uh, we look forward to having you on in the future. Absolutely. I'd welcome it and thank you so much for you know spotlighting all of this because it's really raising awareness and hopefully spotlighting something that somebody didn't know before. You know, it's just opened one pair of eyes, then it's worth it. Absolutely. And we do want to make a shout out for SAMHSA.gov, who has uh, provided the opportunity for us to be able to host this podcast. And we are always on Facebook. So make sure you uh, check us out there with Mind Redefined, Lifting the Stigma Around Mental Health. Make sure you like and make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. We want to know how many people are downloading these episodes and we can really continue to grow and make this show even more dynamic with your help. So thank you again and uh, have a great day. 